So we ask you, Lord, teach us to pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together this evening. We ask you to guide us through this session. We ask you, Jesus, to teach us as you taught your first disciples. Teach us to pray Teach us to be still. And to rest in your presence for a moment. Above all, we ask you to help us to know who you are. Especially to know you with the heart. Help us to listen attentively to your word. Let your word find a home within us. And reveal to us mysteries that are somehow beyond human understanding and yet available to the heart that is open. and fill us now with your peace Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He came to Beersheba, a town of Judah, 
where he left his servant. He himself went on into the desert a day's journey and sitting under a furze bush wished that he were dead. Lord, he said, I've had enough, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and went to sleep. Then all of a sudden an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked round and there at his head was a scone baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. But the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat or the journey will be too long for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food, he walked for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, God's mountain. There are many <coughs> examples in the Bible about miraculous food, uh, God miraculously feeding his people. And what you sense when you're looking at the experience of, of people's lives in the Bible is God somehow responds to the need that the person finds themselves in. And so we have Elijah here. This is one of my favorite examples is Elijah is in bad shape. His life is going seriously wrong. Uh, he's under threat. And so he, he runs away and he reaches this point in the desert and he says, God, I've had enough. And so somehow God responds to that in Elijah. Uh, and I know in my own life, that very often my most profound experiences of God have been when I've come to such a point when I say, I just can't keep going. I've, I've had enough. I can't do this. Uh, and so what happens to Elijah then is uh, that the angel comes and feeds him. And he, the food that the angel gives him <clears throat> is often called food for the journey. Uh, it's a phrase that you hear said a lot in, in Christian spirituality, food for the journey. And Elijah, strengthened by that food, travelled for 40 days and 40 nights. And so that experience of Elijah is an example, a prefiguring of what the Eucharist is, that God is feeding the need of his people with food for the journey. Uh, and, and so that is what the Eucharist is for us, that we are fed with food for the journey of life. It is miraculous food. It's not just ordinary food, but it is food, uh, uh, miraculous food for the journey of our life. Uh, one of the interesting things about God's desire to feed, and it's very central to who God is, uh, the Old Testament uses two terms about God uh, and they both relate to motherhood uh, they're, and they're to be found in the prophet Hosea. Uh, we don't get the words but we get the reality. 
in chapter 11 of, of the prophet Hosea, God speaks about the instinct that is in him towards his people. And he says, I was like somebody bending down to his child to feed him and lifting him up and holding him to my cheek. Now, that instinct in God is like a fatherly instinct that bends down to the child, but it also contains in it um, the motherly instinct that leans over her baby to feed her baby. Uh, and so as mothers, you know what that is. You understand what that is, what, what it feels. I don't, you know, I can only guess. But it's interesting that it's one of the central things that, that's revealed about God in the Old Testament. Uh, and it, it uses that motherly, that motherly reference a few times in the Old Testament. And <clears throat> there's one word that, that's used, it's called hesed. And that is the, 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 the instinct to lean down to the child. It's, it's a tender, faithful, loving instinct. It's a feeding instinct. And the other image for the love of God, for the word for the love of God, is reshem. And it means the womb. And it, it, it expresses what stirs in the womb of a mother for her child. So that's at the heart of who God is and who God is as one who seeks to feed his people. So like, a lot of the time teaching, the stuff we teach is on a head level and it, it's, uh, there's knowledge at that level. But there's always the deeper level of instinct and spirit. And so just to be aware of that, um, you know those instincts. And so God communicates to you that this is the instinct that is within himself towards his people. Uh, one of the great miraculous foods of the Old Testament was when the people of Israel, after they were liberated from slavery in Egypt, they wandered in the desert and they come to a point where they're starving and there is no food. And then God gives them, it's in chapter 16 of the book of Exodus, God gives them manna. It's uh, it's like a powder that covered the ground when they got up in the morning and they gathered, gathered, gathered this and they, they made bread out of it and they ate with it. So the manna has become one of the great symbols of the miraculous food of God, the, the, the bread from heaven, uh, it's called. And Jesus goes on to, to talk about himself being the bread that has come down from heaven. Uh, so on the one hand, you have the starvation of the human spirit, the human, the human person, uh, the deep, deepest desires and hungers that are within us. And I suppose every hunger that we experience is an outward or a surface expression of the deeper spiritual hunger that is within us. Uh, every desire that is within us somehow has in it a desire for the ultimate, the, and the ultimate being, being God. So you have our hunger, and then you have God's desire and God's action of feeding the hunger 
and the desire that, that we experience. So the, 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 the miracle of the loaves and fishes then feeds the physical uh, hunger that the people are experiencing. And that is to, to express to us that God is attentive to every hunger uh, that we experience as people. And there's one very lovely moment. There are two lovely things in, in the, 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 the miracle of the loaves and fishes part. Uh, when Jesus sees the hunger of the people, uh, the, 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 the gospel tells us that he himself knew exactly what he was going to do. And that's an important statement for our life of faith, that very often in life anyway, we, we face situations, we, ha we, we haven't a clue where we're going with it. And, but with Jesus, we have one who knows exactly what he's going to do in the situation. And, and that's an interesting thing. I've often found that in my life. You'd be tearing your hair out, trying to deal with the situation, not getting there. And, and very often, if we can simply, not that we can be idle, but, but know at the heart of it, we have Jesus who knows what he's going to do in the situation. And that, that's a very, a very powerful thing to have in our lives. And then when the crowd are fed, when they've been satisfied physically, uh, he tells the disciples to gather up the bits that are left over. And we're told they fill 12 baskets full of the scraps. But it's interesting, he says to the disciples in one of the translations, he says, gather up the broken bits so that nothing is wasted. And what I've always felt with that when, when I heard that translation is somehow the Eucharist is also about Jesus gathering the broken bits of our lives and, and gathering them to himself. Uh, to make something of them so that that nothing in life is wasted in Jesus, that, that the broken bits are gathered and they become part of, of our life in the Eucharist. And, and then Jesus goes on. I'll, I'll read a section of John chapter 6 where he has fed the people and then he, he's talking about how... how God gave the people in the desert manna to eat uh, the, the, the bread from heaven. And he goes on to say, I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. Then the Jews started arguing among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus replied, in all truth, I tell you, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Anyone who does eat my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life, and I shall raise that person up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I live in that person. As the living Father sent me, and I draw life from the Father, so whoever eats me will also draw life from me. 
This is the bread which has come down from heaven. It is not like the bread our ancestors ate, they are dead. But anyone who eats this bread will live forever. This is what he taught at Capernaum in the synagogue. After hearing it, many of his followers said, This is intolerable language. How could anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his followers were complaining about it and said, Does this disturb you? What if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh has nothing to offer. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So you can understand the people hearing Jesus saying that I'm giving you my flesh to eat and my blood to drink. And their reaction is this is intolerable language. Uh, I was actually <clears throat> giving a retreat up in Macclesfield before Christmas and one of the the people on the retreat was an 86 year old nun who has lived all of her life in the you know in the faith and, and very very good holy woman but we were talking about this and she said it's disgusting this this piece that's that was her reaction to it it's disgusting so <clears throat> we have a reaction to that and they had a reaction to it and you just you can't get that here. You really can't. It, it, it's, it's such a different, uh, a different thing. But that's what Jesus is saying. He's giving himself. And, and this is like God giving all of himself to feed us. Um, but it, it, it means, of course, that when we celebrate the Eucharist uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 19 it's one of the 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 verses on the, the last supper when when Jesus and his his 12 apostles were at table together uh, for the Passover uh, at that meal he took the bread and he said this is my body which is given for you uh, the words that we use at the consecration of the mass and this is the cup of my blood which is poured out for you uh, and do this in memory of me so it's not just that Jesus made this declaration once at the Last Supper but he asked that it would be done in memory of him and continued in memory of him so uh, what, what we are faced with then is that in the Eucharist we are not just eating bread and drinking wine as symbols of the life of Jesus, but that somehow we are receiving the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, the very life of Jesus himself. Uh, and so the, the early followers were faced with a crisis and Jesus lost most of his followers at that point. Uh, uh, but he, he said then, he turned to the twelve after most of them had gone away. He says to them, what about you? Do you want to go away too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the message of eternal life, and we believe, we have come to know, that you are the Holy One of God. So, 
there is something about Peter and I would recommend studying Peter or reflecting on him because he has a knowledge of Jesus that's deep. He has a, a, an experience of Jesus that because he has experienced Jesus in the way that he has, then he knows beyond knowledge, you know, that, that it's, 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 it's a very different, it, it's, it's, a, it's a knowledge of friendship, it's a knowledge of love. And it's very interesting with Peter, he is one of the most chaotic of all the apostles. He is the one who gets it badly wrong so often. He puts his two big feet into it so often. And yet he's the one who knows. He's the one who knows better than anyone. He's got, he's got it here. Uh, and so we believe and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And there's another lovely moment. It's one of the miracles of the, the, the catch of fish. Uh, Jesus, they've been laboring all night and they're exhausted with laboring in the, their fishing. And they come back in and Jesus says, um, throw out your nets to the other side. Uh, and Peter's reaction is, Master, we have labored all night and we have caught nothing. But because you have said it, we will do it. And that's a key thing in Peter. Because you say it, then I accept it. And that's, that's the, the faith that, that I suppose is needed for the Eucharist because Jesus has said it then. I accept it. It's, it's as simple as that. And I think you see that in children, that children have this, that because you say it is so, they accept it. And, and so that's why so often Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you cannot enter uh, into the kingdom. You cannot enter into these mysteries. The other thing that happens sometimes at the consecration, when I, you know, I believe that the change takes place. Um, I believe that the bread does become the body of Christ, that the wine does become the blood of Christ. And yet there are times when I wonder, is this all a mistake? You know, I have that, that question comes into me. But what I've developed in, in that moment of question is there's, there's a, somebody in the, the Bible who encounters Jesus and is looking for a miracle. And, and Jesus says, do you believe that I can do this? And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And so th that I find is a very handy prayer to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Um, so that's, that's one of the ways that I would respond to, to moments of doubt. Uh, but what Jesus says in, in John, whoever eats, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in that person. I love that thought. I love that, that idea that Jesus comes to live in me and I live in him. That, 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 that happens uh, for all of us. And, and that is then, that is communion. That's what communion means, that I become one with. There's a common union between Jesus and the person who receives, that we become, we become one 
with him in a way that I think often we don't understand. Like I've believed it all my life since I was a child, but I had an experience when I was in my first year as a priest, I was in Rome uh, and this Egyptian guy, I got to know him uh, down in a place called Piazza Navona, which I, I love. It, it actually even then was quite a seedy place, but it's a place of human art and activity. And it's a great, great place. Uh, less seedy now than it used to be then. But anyway, he was selling stuff and I stood and I chatted and we became friends. So he came to my house one day and I had just finished doing a wedding of an Irish couple and we would bring the couple into a room for a glass of sparkling wine uh, afterwards. So I was, the couple had gone and I was still there with my glass of sparkling wine and Sharif came in and he, I said, would you like a glass of wine? He said, yes, I'd love some. And I got up to get him a glass and he said, oh no, I'll drink from your glass. And I said, no, it's okay, we have more glasses. And he said, oh no, please let me drink from your glass. He pleaded with me to let him drink from my glass. And I thought, you know, no, I'm not giving you my glass <laughs> to drink out of our, you know, I didn't want to be drinking out of it afterwards, you know, that the, the stuff. So anyway, I gave him a separate glass. <laughs> I, I, I got him a glass and then we, we sat and drank. But it was only when I went to Tanzania and I understood what these cultures mean when they share food or drink. It's, it's quite extraordinary. Like in Tanzania, when people would invite you to their house for a meal, all of the food was in common. There was a big pot in the middle of the floor and everybody ate out of that pot with their hands. Uh, and there's a real sense that when you come together as a family and you're brought into a family, not only do you share that, but you share each other. You become one with each other in that sharing. And the same when they pass around the gourd with the drink in it, everybody drank from the same gourd. So there's that sense of, of communion in, in a human sense. So that would be in play when Jesus sat at table with his disciples, that there's, there's a union taking place between him and them and between them and each other. And you ever notice in the gospel, they, the, the Pharisees, the, the religious people complained when Jesus entertained sinners at the table. Their problem was that by sitting at table with the sinners, he was in communion with them. He was sharing in their life and letting them share in his life. So that was kind of scandalous, you know. So we don't get that so much when we sit down to eat together. But for, for the cultures of the East and, and the African cultures, when they sit down like that, there is something sacred happening. And so at the Last Supper, then it becomes even more sacred because Jesus is saying, not only am I giving you, sharing food with you, but I'm giving you my very self. So that the food we share is, is Jesus himself, his, his very life. And there, there's a moment when 
he's saying to the disciples at the Last Supper that one of you is going to betray me. And it's the one who dips his hand into the same dish with me. And that's why the betrayal of Judas is so shocking, that he goes from the table and betrays Jesus. Uh, in, when we, when I, in Tanzania, <clears throat> if you did anything to hurt people you had shared food with, it was never enough simply to say sorry. They would put on a meal to make the reconciliation. So it, it, interesting, like sorry is so easy, but in Tanzania it meant killing a goat or a chicken and bringing people together around. And so like the Eucharist is, is that then between Jesus and us, but also between us when we gather together <clears throat> the, the Eucharist is the communion of the community. And so there is a sense in which as Christians, when we share in the Eucharist, we share each other's lives. And that's why in the very early days of, of Christianity, one of the things that was said about the Christians was see how much they love each other. That was the mark of the Christian community because they shared in the Eucharist, uh, that their love for each other, that they loved each other as much as they loved Jesus. And like that's the challenge for us, that, that I have to strive to love the other person as I seek to love Jesus. So how would I treat Jesus if he stood in front of me? You know, uh, and I have to try to do that with everybody else. And that's lovely when it's lovely, but when the other person is somehow obnoxious or, or making life difficult, the real challenge then is to try to see them with the eyes of Jesus and to try to see them as I would see Jesus, you know. That, that. One of the great examples of that was Mother, <coughs> Mother Teresa of Calcutta. You've heard of Mother Teresa, have you? She had this extraordinary gift that she would minister, she would look after the destitute on the street and she just loved them, no matter what state they were in, because she had this instinct that this is Jesus. When I, when I tend this person, I am, I am tending Jesus. So that's the, the implication of the Eucharist. And, and reverence is, is a very, very important part of of the Eucharist. Uh, 